0: Hello, and welcome to the Tyler Balkan Podcast for the very first time. Today, my guest is Tristan Ponseca. Tristan is a former colleague of mine from a company that we both worked at at one time. I was an intern. He was a full-time employee, and I got pretty close to Tristan during that time. He agreed to do a podcast with me, and a lot of his interest, his history, and that of his families came out in what I think is a really insightful episode. If you're interested in what the whole deal with anime is, what it's like being a first-generation immigrant from the Philippines, or even how to rule a whole new world order from the lens of capitalism or socialism, I encourage you to listen to the remainder of this episode. This episode is not brought to you by any sponsors, and that should be no surprise seeing that I'm just a random college student trying to start a podcast. Now, to any brands out there that are hearing this, and you want to promote your content, products, or services, please reach out to me, and I will make a free ad for you, and put it in the intro to my show. That is free publicity with no catch. And if you think our audiences overlap, that is an audience interested in philosophy, politics, self-improvement, existence, or health and fitness, then my show is right for you. If you're interested, please reach out to me at the email listed in the episode description. Now, without further ado, Tristan Ponseca. Tristan, you're elected leader of the New World Order tomorrow. What is your first policy?
1: Oh shit! Uh, <laughs> new World Order.
0: New World Order. Like a, entirely globalized. Okay. Everyone. I, I can do
1: anything. Yeah. Oh shit. Uh, f- uh, house for everyone. House for Every, everyone. Everyone gets a house. Yeah.
0: Okay. Free houses. Is there rent? Is there rent?
1: Um. Taxes we collect it through taxes. We okay. tax you. It tax it's, you. It's, it's kind of like a progressive system. Ooh. And if you want a luxury house, you can get one, but that's not that's not the house we provide. You get a little. You get a little okay. You get a little apartment. Where? Okay. Proportional to your income, free house.
0: Where are the houses?
1: I don't know. Yeah, new world order. Wherever you want to live.
0: So it's Sahara. Sarah, like, where are you building them? You gotta.
1: Oh, okay, I, I see what you're saying. Uh, you can't
0: just stick them in, in. That's true. You know, New York City's kind of dense already. Unless you want to go upward.
1: Do I have like infinite resources here, or it still has to be like realistic? Uh, n-
0: no, it's it's the Earth. I mean, you could mine Mars if you want. You have okay, okay the, yeah, yeah. The, you have a decent amount of resources. Like, don't constrain yourself.
1: No, okay. yeah, it's just like probably in like every somewhat metropolitan area, you know, in the okay. In the world, you know, like a not not maybe like in between the China approach and like the the u s approach like it's not like luxury apartment complex, <clears throat> but it's not like eight people living in the same room,
0: okay, right? like some uh what do you call those commune uh, communes,
1: no, not communes
0: hostel uh, hostels yeah uh, hostel uh, you know, okay, like hostel no, and it's free, okay,
1: I'm not free, you still gotta gotta prove you're working, you're not tie tied to your employment now i don't know if that's right either tying shelter to your employment i guess that would be idealistic right but
0: i don't know i thought you were gonna say that that's a pretty nice thing to say i thought you were gonna say like i don't know free bratwursts for everyone family, I, like yeah. y- you're the leader you can do whatever yeah, you heart. want you can be crazy like i don't know i'm sure the pharaohs did some crazy stuff with all that power like you could have... Go all
1: gold for... Well, one of the most richest people in the world was a... I'm pretty sure it was one of the pharaohs, wasn't he? Uh, I don't know. He had the most gold or something. I, there's, a, there's a guy who owned the most gold in recorded history. And it was technically the the richest person. But this was like in terms of like, you know, uh, uh, rich metals.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, you probably look it up. since you're the leader of the New World, we've talked a little bit... At work, for reference, Tristan and I work together. I'm an intern with yep. them. We've talked a little bit at work about capitalism and communism. Yeah, as but the leader been of the reading it. You I have been reading the Communist Manifesto. It's a little dense, <laughs> not because I'm a communist, but because it's an important read for one's education. It's a important document. It, exactly. Yeah. I'm not a socialist, but <laughs> as the leader of the new world. Sure capitalism or communism yeah, and not necessarily as the leader of the new world just generally yeah yeah
1: uh, it's like it's like a hard right hard left right like <laughs> yeah. yeah i i see the appeal of both i for for context i'm probably i probably identify as like a sock dam or something like a okay democratic socialist so uh, my views are probably like more leaning to like centrism than it is communism if it was like if you were to categorize it on that spectrum but uh well, where is the state of the world just like what it is now yeah oh yeah communism. or you
0: can choose a certain dominion we can just say united states
1: mm, i'd say the u.s would should lean more communist than it is now because we're kind of approaching
0: that like plateau
1: that capitalism kind of hits like for i think like emerging nations capitalism all the way right like no question about it right but like where we are now as a nation it's like you really have to like like we evolve from like feudalism to a more merchant mercantile based society so in that sort of way it's like okay well like people thought probably thought feudalism was the shit back then right like yeah
0: Yeah. i
1: love being a serf, i love being a peasant (laughs) bro and then it's like oh wait merchants merchants sounds cool so it's like I think you just got. It's not really like this thing is like better than this thing. It's just kind of like an evolution, and I think that's why people sort of like fixate on a, one economic system over another. When in reality, we've always been evolving and changing. Yeah. In terms of like history, and it's not. It's kind of like to be like this is the one and only thing, the best thing ever. It's like it's a historical. So.
0: Do you think that communism is? Or some form of socialism is the inevitable result of capitalism gone too far?
1: I think so. I think it's sort of like a French Revolution type thing, especially now. But not obviously not violent or like I'm not trying to kill, <laughs> kill all billionaires or whatever. Uh, like there's a big thing with that submarine. Me and Kat were talking about it, my girlfriend. And she was like, oh, you know, like why people are joking about these people dying. And I'm like, well, it's kind of like it kind of makes sense, honestly, with the current economic system like these people like we're in a summary. Uh cost quarter of a million dollars. It's the same as spending like ten bucks at subway for us. Oh but get back on your question. Sorry, that was a was a little tangent, but uh yeah, I'd say so. I think it's kind of like an it was an inevitable outcome. It just it just unfettered capitalism is just gonna like you have competition is great, right? Apple beats I don't know, it, it beat whatever like yeah bad apple bad apple, apple. apple. okay so now now the apple gets that company and just like it's kind of like a game of snake io and just now now we're ruled by like four or five companies and yeah than it is so it's like well, who's gonna beat apple now like what competition is gonna come out and be novel enough to it's like there's only so many emerging industries where it's like uh where technology is like so huge and it's like i think they were evaluated at three trillion dollars which is crazy right three trillion dollars yeah um Obviously, the the evaluation doesn't actually result in like wealth. It just sort of like this is what it is like worth technically by the stock market, which is you know very efficient as we all know. But it's uh,
0: yeah.
1: It's just I I listen a lot to Richard S. Wolf, He's a professor. I, he was on Lex Friedman at one point, I think. But uh, he's like social uh, the socialist professor. He talks about he talks about this a lot, where it's like. Well, like sure, in a pure capitalist society, the idea is like one company eats another, and then that'll go on forever. But like we're already reaching a point where it's like forever's—it's not forever, right? It's like yeah, slowly like man type. Oh, you know, like Coca Cola owns all of uh, the sodas. It's like Apple owns all the phones. Yeah.
0: Well, a couple things to unpack here. A is that a bad thing? If Apple has all the resources. And Apple is notoriously an innovative company. Is it a bad thing because they can produce fairly interesting and useful devices?
1: I think it's uh sort of it's it's hard to make a moral distinction on like whether a company is good or bad because they'll work they'll always just work in their self-interest. But as opposed to like a socialist society, they'll always work for the intention the intentions of the people. Yeah. rather than the self-interest of the company. So it's like sure they might You know they have that VR headset coming out. It's like that's cool, right? But like, uh, where where do we where does it lie? Where does the government? What is the government's role in all of it? And like, where do you want it? Should the market serve the companies or the companies serve the government type thing? You know, like yeah. uh, It's like I think I think sort of. I remember listening to sort of this like short video on the emergence of like fascism right like uh with uh benito mussolini who who's the one who sort of be- it kind of emerged out of his beliefs right where it's i think it means something in italian fascism yeah fascism i think it's an italian term oh uh, no idea yeah but it's Spaghetti. uh he believed that the market should just always work for the government like the the market forces are always in the government's interest and obviously that sounds terrible right like you're like well like who it, then it just depends entirely on like the moral compass of the individuals running the government right so um on the other hand it's like well the exact opposite is like okay we the government's role is just to do minimal regulations and sort of uh not even it's like lobbying and all of this so it's hard to say where which extreme is better, and obviously, where the answer I believe is like somewhere in the middle, <laughs> right? So, golden mean the golden situation. Mean, I don't want to be a centrist. I centrists are obviously like have this negative connotation to them.
0: Talking about uh, like what is extremely left in our country, I think Bernie Sanders was talking about sort We're of a, a wealth cap almost. If you have more than one billion dollars, the rest of that. Money goes to the government. As in, the most amount of money you can have is nine hundred ninety-nine million.
1: I think that statistic is uh, not statistic, but I think in in U.S. history, uh, we did have like a progressive tax bracket where I think in today's money, anything above five million dollars, you're only making like ten percent of that. Ninety percent is taxed by the government. Wow. In reality, you're only getting ten percent. And like, I think I think the main concern is like where's how is that money being like if i make 500 million dollars right you're only making 55 million which is still like a lot of money like it's way more money than like you'll ever need in your lifetime in reality but it's like where's where's my money that i earn going and that's sort of the main concern uh i i get sort of like there is no ethical billionaire i don't know how you feel about that that concept
0: I've brought it up with uh, one of our other coworkers, Millen, as well, and it it does appear that it's difficult to not exploit someone. But am I going to go through my entire life carefully avoiding that at my own expense? Yeah, I
1: think it's just like it's sort of the the scale at <laughs> which you do it in, right? Like the like to be a a billionaire, you need to have sort of uh, extracted this value from like. So many different people and it it needs to have gone from their their worth to yours. Your their net worth to yours. Yeah. I mean, you're just kinda you're you're taking those margins and putting them in your pocket. And when you're a billionaire you don't have to do any work anymore. Like it's like uh, and then that, that money will just get passed down continually through your lineage and sort of that generational wealth is sort of how we get these like large wealth income gaps. So I I know I sound like a tanky right now, but it's like...
0: Yeah, you sound like a total socialist. I, uh, <laughs> we are in Oklahoma. You're going to get killed I after this. I hope not. What?
1: Capitalism is cool. I think it was cool for a bit. I think it, I, I, it was just... That's how it is, right? Like, we we were, we were capitalists for, like, 300 years, and now we're kind of reaching that upper echelon where, you know, the weather, weather income gaps in this nation are crazy. I think, like, 30 million people are in this country uninsured. They're there's the homelessness crisis there's houselessness crisis it's we're we're lucky enough to work this nice nice pretty little desk job but like yeah you know coming from immigrants it's like hard to hard to forget your roots in sort of that sense so i think it's it's like uh i i want to at least explore different opportunities yeah i but it's hard in the u.s where there's so much bureaucracy and lobbying and vested interests groups so
0: well anytime a policy seems remotely socialist in nature oh, yeah, that isn't exclusively down. capitalist yeah it's, it's getting stigmatized but mm. capitalism gives us things like and allows for people like andrew tate to oh yeah make a lot of money just via Demand. media influence via a webcam business and that is exploitative in some sense on andrew tate what do you think of him? First of all? What do I think of him?
1: Uh, don't like him. not a fan. Uh, I think I think uh, he has he has a surface level of uh, intelli- I think he's playing a character, honestly. like I, I, have you watched that vice video on him where one of the vice guys goes up and does kind of like this oh, he- mini documentary on him? I thought it was pretty interesting, but it's sort of like off camera. he's like, okay, that was good, you know like, he, he reverts to like a different person. But on camera, he's like, "Oh, Bugatti! You know, you got a hustle university type, <laughs> type vibe." But I think I think he's doing whether he wants to acknowledge it or not. Sort of like he's he he himself is the product, and he's selling it. And regardless of now of whether what he believes, which I believe his beliefs that he's espousing is pretty dangerous, misogynist, all that. So it's just I I think it's hard to dispute that, especially. And he's also a sex trafficker, so like i think there are clips of him just admitting it so on on hustler's university saying like oh you know like you just got to strong arm these women and also exploit them because they don't they don't know what they're doing right like you get somebody who convinces them to to work for you as a cam girl and then you go oh like your percentage like oh it's 50/50 but like i have to take 30% for taxes <laughs> and you like so it's like you get this pie and then like oh yeah we're going to we're going to split half of it down the middle. And then you just take, like, the extra amount because, you know, like, oh, they're stupid. And, like, oh, they, the they, taxes it's taxes. That they say it's for taxes, but in reality it's not. Okay. So, uh, from what I've seen, obviously I don't consume Andrew. Don't consume a lot of Andrew T. A lot of it is just reactionary uh, sort of these videos on, like, who is he? What is he doing? Like, here's his newest controversy. So, I try to avoid the manosphere, but it's hard to get away from it nowadays.
0: Yeah. So he's vigorously defended himself recently on, for instance, Patrick Ben David's podcast, which I think is a good listen. If you've never heard oh, really? of him, he's, after spending 60 days in, days in jail, he seems to be a more articulate individual, but I guess the main question is, he has a strong influence with young men. Mm-hmm do you think the media's attempt to basically remove him from public existence is justified that justification for removing him being your negative influence on young men and distorting mm. them?
1: I think it's, it's a weird Streisand effect. You know, like I think the more they try to pull away attention from him, the more attention he gets. Ultimately. Oh, hundred like, percent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's, he, he he has this clip talking about how like, Oh, Mr. Beast doesn't like me because I could just have a 30 second clip of me talking and that will get the same amount of views as Mr. Beast building like Willy Wonka, Charlie and chocolate factory and like <laughs> making a video on that. Right. And like saving children. Right. And that's why he's mad. And I thought, I thought even, even though I disagree with him most of the time, he's just like, I'm like, that's a pretty salient point. Like, like he is able to generate so much. I so many eyes on him just by existing. And uh, I think the, the media's attempt to remove him, is sort of like a. I think it's been widely unsuccessful, unsurprisingly, and also it's like I don't, I I don't want to take any like, uh, moral distinctions from media, like the mo- mainstream media, anyway, and like I don't think it's right morally, like trying to, oh, like let's let's uh, completely, like silence this man, right? Like I, I, even though I don't like him personally, it's just like. Well, like, where do you, where would we draw the line there? You think like um, Murdoch is gonna, like, Murdoch would do do that with somebody else, that type of thing. So it's like, it's like, where do you, where do you draw the line? Like, is it okay to silence this guy? Because you don't, because obviously, what he's saying is like, like, not, it's not, it doesn't violate free speech, right? Although it's, uh, it could be problematic sometimes. So most of the
0: time, yeah. So my impression is that the left or certain subpopulations have a moral agenda they want to improve people yeah a lot of them say we don't need better systems we need better people and so they impose certain values on them we prize empathy we prize uh equal equity do you think that andrew tate with his advocating traditional hierarchical structures advocating yes some men are better than others some work harder than others do you think that destroys the possibility for this narrative of equality of empathy because the idea is like if he can have this influence on young men we're going to have a certain subpopulation that has these values that violate empathy that violate the equity that we're prizing do you think it's worth getting rid of him if it means that he's an obstacle to everyone being more empathetic I think
1: it's. Is he like an obstacle to being like empathetic? Like, are you asking, like, is it like are these two things like mutually exclusive? Like.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's another question. Is he truly an obstacle to society becoming more empathetic? I think he's
1: more like a symptom, if anything. Like, uh, it's sort of like by the definition, not. They want to sell like everyone could be a millionaire, everyone could be successful, but by its definition, like, free market, like not everyone someone has to work right so not every man can not be like part of the not every man can be an owner class there has to be a working class under our system so it's like sort of selling like oh well i can make you famous i can get you a bugatti i can get you this so it's i think it's just sort of like how listless men are now like they're very scared everyone just wants to be successful like a lot of the i remember watching this video on a the trap houses in uh chicago like the projects and a lot of them like uh, i don't know if you know are, are familiar at all with like drill rap and like sort of like the gang violence in chicago but like a lot of the rap out there people are very invested in like this guy's killing him like uh there's beef here like who's gonna die type of thing like they're making diss tracks and and then like somebody goes down and interviews them and all all of them just say like i just want to be successful like this this is my way out of the the ghetto and it i think andrew tate's also a symptom of that sort of fear that we'll, like th- is this it like me just working at this menial job for the rest of my life getting married having kids and then dying so it's like sort of like it's almost like an escapist fantasy so i think i think that is sort of the crux of the issue rather than andrew tate being this moral obstacle against empathy i think we just it's sort of like kind of like our economic condition as well as like Sort of an ignorance, and like, uh, like that leads to that lack of empathy and like divide between a lot of us. It's like, oh well, it's like, oh, you know, either you're you're inherently high value man or like low value dude. Like, you you (laughs) you need to prove your worth, and I don't think that's true necessarily. I think to each their own. Like, to that's I think is a big as again tanky right like we should <laughs> every man should just work to their their, uh, ability. their ability yeah teach their ability right so
0: oh what are you quoting marks again yeah, that's Marx. what yeah. is it for <laughs> each according to his ability to yeah. each according to his needs that's what it is yeah yeah
1: yeah i can't think of it but
0: <laughs> yeah so he's not so much an obstacle to the values that people want to espouse as much as he is a symptom of people sort of rebelling against the traditional let's say nine to five path to want wanting to be rich to wanting to have you know
1: it's just harder and harder to get your own autonomy right like in the system we are coerced to work we're forced to right You can't our our healthcare is tied to employment like like you can't exist without working and if you if you didn't have the economic opportunities i'm sure andrew tate did, then it it demeans you but i don't think that's necessarily a a mark on your worth than it is like your circumstance so it's just it's, uh, it's just sort of this anxiety that's building up it's like well it's like people are getting richer people are getting poorer it's like, how do I escape this cycle right
0: yeah so on this notion of rebelling against the 9 to 5 and turning to figures like Andrew Tate if you're comfortable answering what is your ambition in the next 5 to 10 years uh
1: I definitely want to get financially independent enough where I could be my own boss. But I, a lot of people I think I think my ambitions might lie more in like sort of this arbitrary notion of happiness rather than it is sort of a fiscal quantitative net worth that a lot of people strive for. But because like I think my happiness is just like, you know, my little slice of like a like a little little dive shop, people come in regulars family comes in, st- that type of thing. Just a, a more simpler, humbler life than I'm sure a lot of people strive for. But I think just sort of getting to that point where I am comfortable, I am, I own pro- I like a house, and uh, I'm able to have a business where I'm able to sort of provide value to society and to the community. I, I think that communal aspect is very important. I think we kind of, a lot of people now don't really get to experience that Sense of, oh, like you go to your favorite bar and you know the guys type type deal. I think now it's like so, like, oh, stay in your house, like grind, go to the gym. I mean, there are communal aspects. and But I think I think in the U.S. especially, we're kind of isolated in a lot of ways.
0: Well, when you go to these urban centers and it's so focused on ambition, on industry, on making money, you sort of forget other people and you forget to rejoice in just the small communities that you have. And sometimes I go out to the country and it feels like I'm relieved because it's like I don't have to worry about 10,000 people watching. We're just in a simple place. I'm in a little town. So the 9 to 5 track that you're currently on is serving a higher goal in your life to eventually go somewhere. I would
1: imagine that's the same for a lot of people. Yeah. But some people are just content to work at, at their job for the rest of their lives and retire early, but uh i think it's just it's like kind of the thing that keeping me going right now I, I, I like if if i'm at i'm 23 and it's just like if this is like this is the peak of what i'm going to achieve it's kind of depressing right it's like it's like well like what i, I get like a marginal raise every year i'll eventually i'll save up get a house like like what what is there what is what is there for like me like spiritually or like uh, you know for my soul not, yeah. not necessarily for my my wallet so it's just sort of that pursuit of a happiness that, yeah. that keeps me going so 5 well, to 10 years that's the hope
0: what worries me is that a lot of people go into this 9 to 5 lifestyle making a middle class income without some kind of longer term goal they're just sort of pushed through college by their parents by society and then they arrive and it's like oh what is my dive shop i don't have a dive shop i don't have the little bookstore that i want to own and so they just sort of listlessly see out the next couple years and that's what concerns me and i think going back to andrew tate being a symptom that's a reason that a lot of people may turn to figures like him because it gives them the direction that they kind of want so staying on this i won't mention the company just because
1: don't dox us it's it's
0: not yeah, yeah. they'll they'll Don't sue us it. i'll get fired i <laughs> already am a bit of an issue <laughs> me and, <laughs> and the other intern but can you walk me through how you ended up there just how did you find out about the yeah. company uh, what drew you to them
1: uh well i was at the time i was managing a restaurant so i just graduated college i didn't really have a plan coming out of college it's just sort of this go to college get it get a good degree get a good job and then they don't really tell you anything else after that then nobody teaches you what to do after you do all this so um at the time i was managing a restaurant it was great i was having a great time every night we'd go out like get a few drinks we'd party (laughs) not party but like you know it'd be a close group of friends we go we go to the same spots we they get people like hand us free drinks because they know us type deal so it was like it was a. It was, I was very content with how I was living, but it was didn't put, it didn't put food on the table, right? It's like, I think I was making less than you guys make as interns. So it's just like, and meanwhile my responsibilities are it is like the livelihood of like, the back of the house, like, the people in the front trying to get through college, you know, like, uh, you, you take you take the job home with you. People text you after work and all this. Shout out to all the service workers, by the way. They, those guys work, mad hard. So, um, but. Uh, after i graduated uh my my friend who who works at the company currently he he offered to refer me so i was like yeah why not this is the only i didn't i didn't apply to any other jobs this is the only company i applied to uh i get through the first round And i get through the second round and they offered me a job and then like the one thing that appealed to me was like hey you get to you get to move a lot yeah, it's a it's a lot of a lot of zeros um <laughs> Good benefits, and it's sort of like my parents came from the Philippines with nothing, and it's sort of like it felt more—it felt like an obligation to them to sort of uh, make them make put their mind at ease. Although that is sort of you know old school traditional, but it's like you know I get it. They they crossed the seas. They my dad would like for everything I do, my dad would tell me a story. Like oh like I don't want to eat my vegetables. He's like you know when I was your age I was starving <laughs> I was eating like garbage. I was like I oh, was okay I'll eat the brussels sprouts now. He feels kind of like, <laughs> uh, like I, this is actually the plot of the Pixar movie we just watched uh, Elemental. It's okay. just it's sort of this obligation you need to pass to your parents where it's like they have an idea of what you they want they want you to do, but um, but like you know there's so many opportunities out here you have to like explore them it's sort of back then. I'm sure they, all they were thinking about is like surviving day to day here. It's like, I have all of that. So like, what is my, what is like, what is my purpose? <laughs> like besides like making it better from the next of kin. Yeah. So, uh, I joined the company and, uh, it's been, it's been a year now. And, um, I moved, moved once, twice already. So it's just, it's been a lot. I think, I think, I think, Moving a lot has really, like, opened my eyes to, like, sort of, like, help broaden my worldview. I know it's super sappy. Oh, just travel. You know, <laughs> just talk to people. It's, like, and then I was, like, eh, whatever. Like, maybe I'll do it. But it's, like, actually moving and talking to different people, sort of, like, you're just random. You end up at a – I like ending up places, not going places. You just end up at, like, a bar or, like, or a, a, taco a boutique or a taco truck. And you just yeah. talk to them, and it's just uh, – You get to hear their life. You get to hear because a lot of people just want to talk. I I feel like it's it's so common for the people not. You don't even ask people's names anymore. It feels like, especially homeless people. So that's the first thing I always do. I'm like, "What's your name?" And it always feels like it's the first time they've said it in forever. It's like, I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm a person. I have a name." So just it it helps. I, I think it's been eye opening, just like moving from coast to coast and then down smack dab in the middle. And uh sort of experiencing how the other half lives from one my little my little town in New Jersey.
0: Yeah, so for a lot to unpack here that I'd like to talk about, but for individuals who are not particularly drawn to the idea of traveling to a lot of places to getting new perspectives, it's perhaps because they haven't seen it before or there's they haven't heard of good anecdotes. So can you give an example of perhaps your time in California or even here that Really made you perhaps grow as an individual, or give you some kind of perspective. Hmm.
1: Uh, I think here is just you. I worked. I worked briefly at a breakfast place here in Oklahoma, uh, and all the people I talked to, same age as me, they had a kid and they were divorced. A lot of them, and they were just like, "Yeah, you know, like my 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 husband, my boyfriend." They're filing for bankruptcy, and we're just we're just trying to truck through you know like uh and then you just realize like hey these guys are just like they're like my age a little older they didn't they barely they didn't go to college it's like uh, to them it's like such an outlandish idea for them to go to college and then a lot of them went to the military to pay for it and stuff like that and I guess it's like very religious so a lot of it's like no premarital sex and all that so they get married. And because you know they they wanted to have sex and they had a sex and they had a kid <laughs> and then they there's no sexual education so they didn't they didn't uh use any contraceptives so they have a kid and then they're divorced All at all the age of 25 26 I can't imagine going through all that at at that such a young age California uh, there's a huge homelessness crisis like you there'd be like a there'd be like this beautiful building in Sacramento right next to it uh there's just a homeless encampment like the all of them just like they're just trying to like a lot of them don't even look homeless like a lot of them are just like like i saw one he was talking a bluetooth speaker and he was just walking around He, he was dressed ready for work so it's really just like a lot of them i think there's just sort of this you failed if you don't have a house type perspective we have on the homeless when in reality a lot of them just can't afford a house like they're doing everything right like they they did everything that was asked of them. They they work. They went to school. They work a medium income job, and they can't afford a house in California. They got they got priced out, and they have no means to move all their stuff and go to Oklahoma like everyone says, right? Like oh, just move. It's like well, yeah, just this ain't the Oregon Trail anymore. We can't just <laughs> we can't just hop in, hop on a horse and just move wherever and claim land, right? Like you need to have a plan. So it's just. It was a little. It was a little dis, uh, disheartening just to seeing all this suffering. Just like going to work, like this one guy. He just stopped me and he was like, "Hey, man! Like, like he didn't even want money. He just wanted some weed. He was like, I just need something to pass the time, man.' And they don't even let him in the pre roll shop. They don't even let him in the cannabis shop because it's, it's completely legal there. It's just uh, everything's super taxed. But like you know, you go in, they give you have to, they screen you. They you have to give your ID, and I imagine he didn't. Either he didn't have an idea or they they black, they blacklisted him, so I bought him some pre-rolls and I started smoking with him and he was a, and uh he he was a bit of a weird guy, but I remember he was like, can I have the bag like I like reading the the labels and I was like okay <laughs> sure was like, I was like sure bro <laughs> but it's just it, it really is like it's just people just suffering in California and just kind of like makes sure makes you realize like hey like policies policies do affect people like we should we sh- these are the most vulnerable people in society to to sort of uh put this like moral uh label on them that they have failed in life and they are worse than me therefore they deserve this it's like oh well you could have just moved in with your parents or you could have why didn't you do this why didn't you just work a better job like why did you get your your liberal arts degree it's like no that's not true for anyone it's like who do you think is who do you think is like mixing your eight dollar Starbucks drink? It's like these guys. These guys are the backbone of our society. Yeah, you know, we treat them the worst. So it's uh, California was definitely an eye opening place because on one hand you have like the tatted up, uh, you know, studs and they got hella piercings and they're the coolest person ever, <laughs> and they 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 came from a richer family so they they were able to pursue whatever thing they wanted because they came from an affluent background. On the other hand, you have uh, first-generation immigrants struggling to make it by. they're they're doing jobs that they hate but you know they work at a convenience store like flip burgers but like who else is going to flip burgers like in reality like they think it's like only teenagers work these jobs so it's like you know what about the what about the other half right right someone's got to do it like starbucks employs millions of people uh, like and they don't believe they should be unionized. Like, oh, it's like you just a phase. Like, who cares about Starbucks workers? It's like I don't know why you're trying to enable a multi 1000000000 dollar company to take advantage of its workers. <laughs> so it's like I, that is a conversation I had with somebody. It's just like Starbucks, Starbucks employees go unionize. So yeah. collective bargaining.
0: So you see, just. A multitude of homeless people in California, and that sort of alerts you to the fact that a policies cause great harm to people if not gone well, and b that it is sort of a moral crime to think of them as less. Yeah, we
1: sort of ascribe them like that—that they somehow failed or messed up. But in reality, we we've all messed up at some point in time, whether it be like financially or making a poor decision, and suddenly with us, we had like a safety net, I'm sure. Uh, they messed up, and then they didn't have that safety net. So now they they got to grind back from the top, I'm sure, a lot of these homeless people. So uh, very rare is it that they wake up homeless and they just stay homeless for the rest of their lives. I'm sure that's true for some of them, but it's just like at some point they fell, they fell down. And describe them falling down as sort of this moral high ground for us to like, oh, you know, tough. Like we all fall down, like get back up. <laughs> it's like, well, d- you got to rely on. I'm sure your parents or like your siblings or whatever, but not everyone has those uh, community networking.
0: Yeah. Thing, so. Yeah. To get back up, it's for us. We may have to li- lift like a brick they have to lift yeah. a boulder or something along these lines going back to your experience at a russian i think correct me if i'm wrong you were a manager yeah at I, some point
1: i i was a manager at some point I, I worked a lot of like delivery jobs or like serving jobs uh i was a i was like a dishwasher for a day but i didn't know that's what i was applying for so <laughs> they, put me, they put me in the back i was wearing this like nice outfit for serving and then they're like okay to wash dishes i'm like like, what? what? And, like, and then I was terrible at it because, of course, and then they kicked me out. <laughs> <laughs> what?
0: Wow. Yeah. Okay. I got some free food out of it. so <laughs> Yeah. So how did this managerial role come about? Had you been at that restaurant for a long time? I was there for like a year and a half.
1: Uh, well, in total, I was there for like two years almost. And like a year in, they were like, you want this managerial role? And I was like, yeah, sure. Like, looks good on resume. Like, I'm not really there for... I was lucky enough not to be working there for like survival, right? My parents like had a house, they they fed me. Uh, for me, it was just like sort of this pursual of, of knowledge and uh, uh, the ability to move up and, and learn in the restaurant industry. Because that's honestly what I thought I'd be doing right now, but.
0: Gotcha. Okay, so interesting question. What do you think was more vocationally fulfilling, the managerial oh. role or your current job?
1: 100 percent managerial role. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, and why do you say that?
1: Um, I think it's just it's just uh, it's less like it's less your relations at work are more much less uh, fake in a sense. Like I, I'm sure you can nurture cool, nice relationships with people at an office job, but it's just it's not the same as it is when you're sort of grinding out like kind of like you're you're there through thick and thin like things explode not explode but like shit hits the fan you're in there together you're family right like like you mess up we all mess up type type thing here it's like a lot of like finger pointing and like backstabbing I, I, that's kind of like it's not really like that at the shop but like that is, there's there's kind of like this undertone in a lot of office jobs of like office politics and I personally hate that uh um it is the same in a restaurant in a sense, but at the end of the day you still have to get along and like grind out the day and you have to do it every day. So you really nurture you work much closer together. Uh you all come from much different backgrounds. I think in our office especially, a lot of them do come from similar They are Midwestern mostly backgrounds. white individuals. <laughs> yeah, mostly white individuals who went to Christian private school. So it's like nothing wrong with that, but it's just it's just hard to get differing points of views and like Captain Planet <laughs> type deal. Instead, it's like, you know, it's like if, you're, if you don't fit that mold, then you don't – like I don't really fit that mold, so I don't really – it's hard to connect with individuals. There it was like you're basically uh, – you're there. It's like you – not versus the customer, but it's like it's fulfilling to make someone's night, like make somebody's night, somebody compliment you. Uh, You work with your coworkers to, you know, grind through a really rough session, really rough day. Um, People call out. Things happen. But uh, it was always my goal as a manager to sort of, like, I'm here to make you succeed. And if you don't, it's also my fault. So, like, uh, help me help you (laughs) type thing. So, and, you know, it was just fun. It was just fun, like, going out after work. You're all really tight. Everyone's super-duper cool in a restaurant. So, uh and you're all like you're all in the similar economic background. You're just trying to make it work. You're still learning.
0: Gotcha. So you were what, like twenty twenty one, maybe younger when you were a manager.
1: 21, 22, yeah, 20, 23.
0: Did you have anyone older than you? Oh yeah, under but, you.
1: But we were all mostly like under thirty. Okay. Everyone who worked at the restaurant, we were all like, uh, either you were in college, you were in high school. Or you just got out of college so it's kind of like this sweet spot of like 28 to like 17 to 29 range like I think our oldest guy was like 30 <laughs> but uh you know a lot a lot of the people who worked the front of the house was were like high school students or like young kids in college I just I was like about to get out of college like just graduating so
0: So you spoke about uh, your family a little bit. Would you mind detailing sort of their story? I don't know. Are you first generation?
1: I'm a first ger- generation American. Yes.
0: Okay. So when did your parents move? Would you um, mind detailing their story? Yeah.
1: So uh, Filipinos, especially, a lot of them are nurses, and because of that, uh, they there's a lot of like wh- every country needs nurses. Uh, there's like there's kind of like a shortage of nurses because like if you're a nurse, you might as well become a doctor type thing. So a lot of there's not a lot of assistance or access, for a lot of people there's like in America like you know a lot of people are nurses right like a lot of but in the Philippines it's like everyone's a nurse because it's like they would we kind of shipped them out it was our export. So uh my my father and my mother they they were nurses uh in the Philippines. They grew up very poor. They were like my mother had like eight siblings and then my father he had like four. Uh, but they were both very poor. They were, tell, they were telling me all the time. They always reminded me, hey, like, be thankful. of What you have? Uh, we didn't have it as good as you. Uh, we never wanted you to go hungry or have to, like, go to the military to pay your bills. It's like, okay, cool. So when they were young, they moved to Saudi. So a lot of Filipinos moved to Saudi Arabia to work as nurses. Uh, sort of like this. I think it's like a – they never really explained it to me. It was like like a program or some, like – we need nurses. Why don't you come over here? We'll give you a visa type deal. I, they met there. Um, and they got married. And then they they were trying to have... They, they're older. My parents are a little older. I'm 23. I think my father is 64. So they were like 40-ish when they had me. Um, and then they moved to America. Uh, my mother's sister already lived in America. So they try to get work here. Now, obviously... Uh, you get a visa here for like visiting, you don't, you're not allowed to work. So back then they were actually, they were legal immigrants for a bit. They stayed here, they stayed here longer. And that's what kind of, that's like a big thing about the illegal immigrant debate. It's like my parents at some point were illegal because all they did wanted want to do was work, work in America and they weren't given the opportunity because of, you know, bureaucracy or like you're allowed, you're not allowed. It's like, who makes these distinctions? So, um, So they got a job here. They were finally, they got their citizens now. Uh, Yeah, but they they had a big struggle going up from being born to sort of, I think they worked like really, my dad said he like delivered newspapers and chocolate to people in the Philippines and he would get like pennies a day uh, trying to feed his siblings. My mother was the same. So Uh, I think my mom would always say like, oh, on one of our birthdays, they would give us instant noodles because that was like the treat. It's called Pan Canton, and it's just it's like these instant noodle packets. I used to eat them all the time as a kid, but back then it was like a big event. So they they went from the Philippines to Saudi to America, and then they lived in. Uh, I think they've lived in Jersey for most of their time. So, and they're very westernized. I think I think sort of like America's persistent existence in the Philippines. There's sort of like a very Western American culture where it's like viewed as like. Oh, we want to go to America. It's like kind of like what we have for Japan now. Do you, do you? Side tangent. I I get <laughs> all these like shorts and like TikToks and like like thing, and people are like oh whatever. It's like thing in Japan, and they're like oh shit, it's Japanese. Like, <laughs> it's sort of like this uh, fetishization of a lot of Southeast Asian culture, especially Japan. So it's a little, it's kind of like that but with America because my everyone loved basketball. It was a big sneaker culture. I think sort of this like view on like expensive luxury items is always like really persistent in Filipino culture. It's like kind of like a status symbol. They love Louis Vuitton, <laughs> Lacoste. It's very big with them. I'm yeah.
0: Saying. So how common was your parents' situation in the Philippines?
1: Oh, it's, it's a very poor country. I think it's pretty common. Um Uh, luckily, they, all, all the, all the siblings and my aunts and uncles, they're all good now. They all live in, well, some of them live in America. If they live in the Philippines, there's, they own land or whatever. Um, but it is a very poor country. There are, like, little, like, I don't want to say ghettos, but it's just, like, shanty towns made of, like, like, tents and everything. And just people showering in the streets. There's just, there's not a lot to go around. Um. I think a lot of them wear like donated clothes. Uh, There's not really like a standard of health there for food. Uh, It's like I went to, I was there, I I went to like a PC cafe to play my favorite game, League of Legends. (laughs) I was like 15 at the time. And uh, I went to like a PC cafe, it was right next to the place we were staying. Uh, But it it was half PC cafe, half house. So they, there was just like a, a, like a, Thin wall that didn't even hit the ceiling. Just so, like, and then I, I was like, I need to use a bathroom. So they took me to the back. (laughs) It was through their house, and it was just like it was like probably like a room as big as this one that we're sitting in right now, and like there were probably like six or seven people in there, just like you know, one of them was like washing in the like not showering, but like cleaning themselves in the living room. And I went to the bathroom. I was like, it's kind of weird. So, and then I, then I was there for like a couple hours. It was like a dollar an hour. So it's just like to to them, a dollar just goes so much farther. So to my peoples.
0: Yeah. For reference, this room is maybe 12 by 30 feet. And that's to imagine the six or seven people in there. I mean, their backs would be.
1: It's like a small conference room. Yeah. Imagine just living in a small conference room all the time. That's your space to share with other people. So it's just they didn't have a lot. I think Filipino uh, people are very humble. They're very, uh, very hospitable. They make great ass food, uh, <laughs> but a lot of them are. We're very much still like an exploited country. I know. I know. Like we, the the cruise industry employs an insane amount of Filipinos due to like loophole laws um, that they can't sue the cruise companies if they uh, if they were to like get injured on the job or something along those lines. So, um, the more you know. That's why you see hella Filipinos on the, on the cruise ships. Wow. Oh, That's why the nurse industry is like super f- filled with Filipinos. It's sort of like their pursuit out of the, their way to find success. And a lot of them do. I think a majority of my family was nurses, I'd say.
0: Yeah, so one thing that occurred to me during that is what is the Filipino version of success? Like what is making it?
1: Yeah, I think it is making it to America. Owning a house in America to them, especially, it was a lot easier when they, my parents, were young. So they're like sixty. So what? They grew up in the eighties. Owning a house is probably like five, five times less than it is what it is now owning a house. I think, I think they told me they bought their house like hundred grand. It's worth five times that now. So it's like, to them, it's like they made it. Like this is, what the the discrepancy of where they grew up, how they grew up, to how they live now it's night and day. So I think that's their aspect of success. But the issue with like a lot of young young men and women is we have to we have to up that. We have to one up. Like imagine like you were poor. You were living in the, you were living in like poverty, like complete poverty in the Philippines, then you live to a you live in a nice three-bed, two-bath in New Jersey. That's like that's like uh making 50,000 and then making a million dollars a year. To them, I'm sure. It's like But, like, how do we do that, like, you and I? Like, how do we take how we're living when we're a kid and, like, one-up that? And sort of, like, that consistent pursuit of uh, improvement that's sort of uh, damaging.
0: It's sort of the burden you inherit no matter what. You somehow, for some reason, have to improve your situation from the one that you were born in. So, we have... People coming from conditions like your parents did. They have a child here. Compare that to the fate of a lot of white families coming from the United States have been comfortable for several generations. When it comes to putting these kids in college, is there anything to be said about choosing between the kid coming from the Filipino family or in any other other background and the white kid?
1: recent Supreme Court decision? Yes, I was going to ask your opinion on that. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh I think I think uh especially in higher education uh Asian Americans have been sort of uh given this role that we are discriminated against and that it is unjust that uh we are. And it is true in some sense. I think there was some studies. Uh, there was there were some studies done that sort of like proved that the mission's officers had less sympathy or they didn't really get culturally Asian Americans, and they they would joke around that all of the applications look the same, or something. Even though they were very high achieving and they they deserved a spot, um, but I think we statistically Asian Americans are overrepresented in not higher education. In Harvard, it's like twenty five percent. We almost make up a quarter of the population. The Asian American population is like twelve percent, and it's sort of that the term Asian American is sort of like it was it was invented because. Americans didn't really get the difference between Asians. So we had to sort of like group together and like, this is our one struggle. It's like, not really. It's like not every Asian experiences the same level of like discrimination or anything. Um, I do, I, affirmative action wasn't a great solution to sort of like to fix generational wealth problems and discrepancy of wealth between races. It was definitely a band-aid solution. Like a real solution would be, if we lived in a complete meritocracy, like society would be, uh, we all have equal economic outcomes. The only thing that decides it is our inherent drive and like uh, hard work, right? But we don't live in a society like that. We don't have equal economic outcomes. So it's sort of like drip feeding underprivileged people that still earned the merit to be in Harvard, but just came from harder backgrounds. It wasn't a great solution because ideally we'd want everyone have equal economic outcomes. But since we don't live in a society like that, we had to come up with a Band-Aid solution. And now Asian-Americans are kind of forced to, we have this role where we're like, oh, well, like, you know, my kid didn't get into Harvard uh, because he's Asian. It was like when in reality, it's like, no, it's like he's still, he's still competing against like, it's still really fucking hard to get into higher education or like college. It's like, the, it's, it's a holistic review. But I don't think I don't think there's any there's been any one case or lawsuit that actually was like okay yeah uh, this kid was like the only reason he didn't get in was because he was Asian it's like I don't think that person exists and in reality what it is it's like uh, sort of nefarious because like the people who profit most out of like sort of the Asian American struggle are are white people generally speaking it's like well like that's more spots for. Whites and Asians, right it's like sort of this model minority uh we're we're put at the front of the line but because it's more obvious but uh I think the guy who 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 did sue the supreme Court uh ed 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 something maybe he was like i don't know uh he was he was white <laughs> he was just like oh you know we don't want we don't want kids to get discriminated against it's like well it's like if you if you really want if you really wanted it to be a pure meritocracy like you would remove legacy emissions, right? That, I think that makes up like 40% of Harvard emissions. so.
0: Let's, uh, let's get a good set on that, because if it's 40%, I don't have Wi-Fi in here, but 40% is extreme.
1: Yeah, it's a lot. Legacy, I think it's like athletes, legacy emissions and people related to staff. I think that was, the, uh, I think that was it. So it was just like 40, 45%, somewhere in between there. It's like, that is a large amount of people to make it into Harvard that, that is sort of the scapegoat people always say, like, oh, do you want your your doctor performing surgery on you to be qualified or do you want them to be some like affirmative action uh, <laughs> I'm like, What are you talking about, dude? Like the people who still make it in Harvard still go through a Harvard education. They still may they're not letting like some idiot in, right? Like they still made the the bare the bare minimum of admissions. I think there's like a a baseline of okay, here's everyone who made sort of our quota not a quota, but like our um uh, requirements or prerequisites for admission and then they have to just whittle that pool down and honestly like it should it is in the college's best interest to reflect a modern culture our modern culture of like we want it to be diverse I don't really get the the controversy around that like of course you want kids to like you don't want it to just be like 50 percent white people 50 percent Asians right like imagine like well how do you explain that besides like being like all oh, culture. That's always the talking point right? Like, "Oh, it's cuz culturally or or something like that that they're underrepresented." But it's like in reality it's like no. It's like it's cuz it's the other way to say it is like it's genetic. It's not genetic. It's like it's just economic outcomes. I I think affirmative action was a bad band-aid fix, but it was a fi- band-aid fix. And the Supreme Court decision is a bit worrying, especially along with the student loan debt relief that they also strike down. So uh, I think this will be a very pivotal time in our history that we'll look back on.
0: Well, okay, so one thing that occurred to me is we always say that we want diversity. Can you give a precise explanation of why?
1: It's just uh, if you're sheltered, like let's say... I, I'm sure you know, you've, you've known people who were sheltered to other cultures or other uh, sort of, like, before moving out of New Jersey, I'd say I was a bit sheltered, right? Like, you kind of, especially, like, from a political standpoint, it's like, oh, how could anyone be on the right, right? <laughs> like, for me, it's like, because I'm super lefty, super leftist, lipped up. <laughs> but, uh, but then you move out here and you're like, oh, I kind of get it. Like, uh, the these candidates are, are the ones representing them in terms of their interest. And you, from a right or left perspective, you don't get it at all if you're living in New Jersey, the pride of the Oklahoman, <laughs> right? So I, I think diversity, especially in college campuses, it sort of exposes people to be less ignorant, right? Like uh, it, it's just sort of like you want it to reflect a society where – you don't you don't go oh like they cast they cast this person as they recast I don't know freaking uh the Hulk as a as a as a Indian American it's like well <laughs> it's like at some point you want people to be like oh, okay whatever like who cares like it's so, it's sort of like to expose them so it's never a surprise and then it's just normal for a lot for me and you I'm sure it's just like oh, whatever it's a Tuesday you see a a black person but it, let's say. I know there's a lot of stories and like, people go to China. Black people go to China or Japan, and it's this big fucking deal yeah. when they walk around. And it's always, like, people murmuring or just, like, staring. Kids are chill Children are staring at them. It's like, well, that's sort of, like, that is the exact extreme opposite of the future we're hoping to achieve. Like, obviously, it's it's a little extreme to have people, like... You know, like these racist commercials. I, I heard the story where where a woman tried to like rub off his skin like it was like ash or like soot or something, like or is like she thought it was like dirty and it, that's why it wasn't like clean clean and white. <laughs> I was like, geez, that's crazy. So, but that's not
0: malintentioned.
1: It's no, just, no, it's just it's you know. ignorance. That's exactly what it is. It's just it's not like them being racist or anything, but it's just them being like genuinely confused. And that's why we want to promote diversity, just because it's like we wanna we want people to be educated, right? uh, It comes down to like you want an educated populace, right? With that's been exposed to different cultures and uh, plights and uh, upbringings, right? Like not everyone can be a rich dude going to Harvard. Why do we want people to be educated? Hmm, That is an interesting question. I guess I it's just uh a more educated populace leads to better uh better outcomes for society i imagine like in terms of like inventions or um you know like uh or maybe even like something as arbitrary as art and music or uh things we enjoy entertainment like a smarter populace just leads to better outcomes for every industry it's like okay you want now now we have better food now we have better like infrastructure now we have better uh, inventions new new iphone that uh <laughs> is able to uh, come to you like me or something <laughs> like something crazy
0: <laughs> <laughs> so i mean my concern with this is you have to be educated in very specific domains right if you're going to make it a phone that's mjolnir you need to be educated in technology but that doesn't mean you're educated in politics history <laughs> philosophy And so when people say education is a solution to our problems, I'm a little apprehensive, apprehensive, a little skeptical because what education are you talking about?
1: I I think um, it's more the idea that let's say you and I were to make an app, right? Uh,
0: Instead of sort of
1: only catering it to the people we've known in our lives, sort of like encompassing everyone, having a broader understanding of like different struggles and like, what markets to cater to like even speaking from like a capitalist standpoint just having spaces where you're exposed to more and more people it sort of enables you to access different markets or even like make inventions that are more encompassing for like not just you know the rich elite or like the very poor right like i'm sure popeye's target demographic is uh not Bill Gates, right? But like, they have an understanding of like, okay, like we, you know, like McDonald's Grimace Shake. Like, you think Bill Gates is drinking the Grimace Shake, dude? I don't <laughs> know, dude. He's that thing was made. That's pure sugar, and it was made for uh, uh, people <laughs> like you and I, the common working man. The common Popeyes is for the working man. Know. Okay.
0: The Bill Bill Gates looks like he would be drinking Grimace Shake. <laughs> no. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> so. Education is a solution to our problems, supposedly. What form of education do you think? Kanye, on Lex Friedman's podcast a while back, said, we should do nothing but train people to be engineers. Is that the education? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. But then on the other hand, it's like, should we all just be philosophers? I might say something along the lines of yes. But, like, how how diverse does this need to be? Like... Yeah. You know, at what point are we hiding history? At what point are we removing words from books? It sort of plays into the
1: idea that we should ensure everyone has like a baseline for a living, because like not not everyone can be an engineer or a philosopher or a, I don't know an artist. Somebody got to be a dump truck driver, right? Like, so, but I guess like education in its role in society, like it is. Are people entitled to education? I I I was curious about this. Do you think... Because I spoke with somebody about how I believe that, like, you know, healthcare should be, you know, uh, sort of like being healthy should be a human right, right? Like being being able to live your life healthily and not encounter any, like, pain or discomfort from day to day should be a human right. And they said, well, like, well, uh, that you would be forcing somebody else to... Uh, work right like that is your entitlement to a person's like medical supplies or entitled to another doctor's um, time right but at the same time we have public education and that's exactly that right like it's teachers supplies books so it's like well we are somewhat entitled to education but like it's different for healthcare and a lot of things. So, I think it that that was a little interesting, but to answer your question about education in general, it's just hard to pinpoint like what, what like we need like let's say, I don't know, because jobs jobs evolve constantly, right? Like I'm sure you and I never thought cryptocurrency professor would be a job 10 years <laughs> ago, right? But now it is. And it's sort of like this evolution of what what fields are emerging, which ones are fading out, like we don't need truck drivers anymore, but we need cryptocurrency guy now. So I think it should just always be adapting. It should always cater to a wide amount of interest. But uh, I think the government's role is to, like, sort of incentivize people to join different fields or sort of like we need, we need more farmers. Okay, like you'll get – I know – I forget which country this was, but I think there was a country – that oh, we'll give you a tax stipend if you – become a farmer
0: for a year or something. I think that was somewhere in the Caribbean.
1: Yeah. I, I was like, that's it, That is an interesting solution. It's like, you're not forcing people, but you are incentivizing because like, you can't force people to become farmers or whatever, or, like engineers, but like, you can be like, this is what we need. This is the amount we need to be an electrician. Why don't we either enable people to freely join programs that enable them to join apprenticeships or to give them monetary benefits for doing so. So, it's, it's sort of like a, it's a bunch of different programs and industries and uh, entities working together. So, education is not just, oh, let's just have more engineers. It's like, then who's going to make your food? Who's going to flip your patties, bro? Like, who is the backbone of the engineer society, right? Like,
0: who should accept being a burger flipper? I would not want to do that. Yeah. And so sometimes we point to things like IQ, but I, we seem to, um, like the idea of distributing people, people based on their intelligence. You know, if you have 140 IQ, go be a lawyer. If you have a 70 IQ, go be a burger flipper. Is that an appropriate solution to maintaining the backbone of our society? Because maybe the 70 IQ guy doesn't want to be a burger flipper maybe he wants to be a lawyer and maybe he's gonna be a bad lawyer but should we allow him to be a bad lawyer
1: or he could be a good burger flipper
0: (laughs) a good burger flipper and but then we have to if he doesn't like being a burger flipper then we have to inculcate the idea that being a good burger flipper is valuable to you and it like who i don't know who's gonna argue that i mean there's something to be said about the nobility of suffering through a more simple job. Let's say. But I I just. It's hard. They, you know. policy Politics is a mess for a reason. Because it's super complicated. And people come in with their heuristics. And try and say. Well X is the solution to everything. So. Uh, veering away from that a little bit. I know that. You're. You watch some anime. And I'm always curious as to why it's extremely popular. So. What do you think it is about anime that attracts young people, and what about it attracts you?
1: I, I think uh, anime in general, it's appealing because, uh, let's, take the, let's take the U.S. modern, uh, the comic book industry, right? Like, it's huge in the U.S., but no one really reads comic books, right? <coughs> because um, a lot of them are just, like, they appeal to, like, young boys, at least that was a stereotype, like, for a lot of people, right? So it's like, uh, you know, Batman and Robin, like, uh, or Superman. It was kind of like this fantasy for young young men, young boys, right? That, and That was the only demographic it was popular in, um, Superman and all this. Like, a lot of them are, like, super-duper sexualized and stuff like that. For And it caters to that sort of fantasy for young men and boys. Um, but anime and manga in general, they, it sort of tackles – a much wider net in terms of, like, themes and topics and, uh, like, you know, um, stories that it tackles in general as opposed to comic books. It's like you're sort of confined to this notion of, you know, good guy, bad guy. Good guy has to win at the end. But, like, it, you know, but with manga and anime, it's just, like, I don't, I, you could tell any story you want and it's sort of, like, in this cool and it's sort of in the same medium as a comic book but you get to read about uh, you know like <laughs> something crazy it's like <laughs> either it's like super duper over the top which appeals to like you know younger people or it's like super somber or it's like uh, and that's sort of what, why it appeals to me especially it's like uh, it, it's way more uh, it's at times like heartfelt and it's, it's by a, it's a single man's vision a lot of the times so as opposed to um comic books where it's like Superman was invented by like Jack Kirby and Stan Lee back in the day and now now a writer has to take that pre existing character and give their own spin on it to make it interesting. But like with a, a manga creator and anime creator, they're just it's just one guy and he goes on to write like this super personal story about him, like I don't know, like uh, about some boy like learning what it is to to be a human or so you know, like Stories like that are, are, like, are what appeal to me. Um, and it's kind of like the medium has been like saturated with like Naruto clones. <laughs> like, oh, my God, they fight, and uh, the kid's an orphan because every, every kid in anime has to be a fucking orphan <laughs> now. And, uh, and they fight the bad guy, and it's super hype, and it's just super bombastic and cool. Big CGI slap fight, which is the exact same thing people criticize Marvel for. Right. And it's sort of the shallow like uh, they're selling product type thing. But there are like really cool stories within that you just have to dig a little deeper. Um, And I think a lot of people's engagement with the medium is just a human thing. I think it's just like kind of shallow. It's like, okay, what is what is something that will give me immediate enjoyment? And like I don't have to watch a three hour dissertation on it. And, you know, that's not all. You don't have to be like, you don't have to know every French person alive to like movies, right? But, you know, it's sort of like going beyond that shallow curtain of like blockbuster movie. It gets pretty deep. It's interesting. There's a huge catalog for you to pick from, so it's like you can you can read about some some old man like, uh, you know, like anime up, <laughs> like, <laughs> and that that's really cool. Or like some uh, there's there's a manga about like a like a bas like basketball but for like people in wheelchairs and sort of like this the struggle they have mm. and sort of the uh it sort of displays like this these people that aren't really like discussed all that much or represented in media um or it's like super artsy it's like n- nothing makes sense and it's like but the images are cool so you kind of you read it anyway
0: so would you say anime has a genuine human element to it that a lot of modern cinema does not.
1: I think a lot of uh it sort of uh is a man's vision rather than is like a corporation's and I think that's what super appealing. I see, okay. You know?
0: And you sort of implicitly relate to that individual's vision? Or there's something about it that's just like perhaps you can identify with, perhaps it's like you feel like you're I don't know watching something that connects with another individual on the other side maybe It's a lot it's a lot
1: more personal you know like a lot more personable uh like you know the biggest manga is one piece right but like that that man it's just one man's vision imagine all of marvel was made by one guy that's the same level as like of one piece because that that particular piece of media is just like so popular his net worth is like millions and millions of dollars he made this huge media franchise but it was just at the end of the day, it was just some guy who wanted like pirates, like and a, a kid to go out and see and like mm. explore, and it's sort of that that like very personal element of you just wanting to like, I'll just throw everything aside, the side, get in the car, and just start driving. It's like it's like the same exact feeling. I think it, it, they just get they just get like sort of the longing people have way better than like a team of scriptwriters in Hollywood, right? Like it's like. It's just this guy, his passion, he doesn't know if this is going to be popular or not. He just has to make it and hope it does. I think that's super-duper cool. In the media of, like, manga especially. It's just, like, guy, he just has to submit it to a publication. The editor has to like it, and they put it in the magazine. And if it's good, it keeps going. If it's bad, they ax it, it's done. So it's just they have to make a story. That is both super, super duper. Either personable. There's two ways you can go. It's like super trendy and like, oh well, this guy's in. He looks like Naruto, but he's not Naruto. His name is uh, like Dave, and then Dave <laughs> Dave's an orphan, and he has to fight fight ghost, demon, monsters with his cool uh, his cool yo yo. It's like okay, cool, that sounds great, but like <laughs> I, it's just. On the other hand, it's like you know, personal stories where it's like the best thing ever and it's just like it's more kind of reading a book like watching anime and reading manga is than it is watching a movie because it's or watching tv shows because it's not by a bunch of people it's just about it's just by a dude <laughs> just a regular ass dude and i that's personally that's what's appealing to me i think a lot of people uh are either like who like anime and manga they kind of fit a stereotype i'm sure you're imagining a person right now <laughs> um, but Audience, if you're thinking of somebody, it's exactly that person I'm describing. uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I I would hope this is the way they engage with the medium, but um, unfortunately, it's like a lot of them just engage with the medium because, like a bit, you know, they just watch the popular stuff, and the popular stuff is good, Uh, and it's appealing to them because it's like it has a wide cast of characters usually, and it's it, it encompasses the feeling of hype way better than it is like watching people slap each other in like Doctor Strange right it's sort of like this hype build up and then they they kind of like build up this character from nothing and suddenly he has to face the big bad guy at the end it's like wow that's like it takes like way longer for you to get to that point too So it's it's like years and years and suddenly it's like it's over so to me it's like kind of like this build up and the writing behind it it just encompasses way more different topics and uh people super marketable pikachu we love pikachu big <laughs> fan of pikachu do you have do you watch have you watched any I f- i'm sure we discussed this
0: anime yeah no i uh really my ex-girlfriend used to Is watch any
1: ghibli movies a lot of people
0: no them. i was well i was forced to watch some of one uh there's one where like these this family goes into a market and there's like a dead bigs. pigs or something yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah
1: that was a, that's that's spirited away yeah, yeah that, one's, that one's good. I like that one. Yeah,
0: that one's yeah. I watched some of it. The only one that I'm familiar with because of this. Yeah, my ex is. Oh God, was it was Attack on Titan? Yeah, and I don't. Have you watched that?
1: Yep, I read the whole thing. Uh, it's a. Uh, it's a bit. Like it felt like the author doesn't didn't know the answers to his questions. You know, like it, it, mm. stories build up like what's in the basement, what's in the box, like and then they give you answers to those questions perpetually. But the sort of way he wrote it was like I don't this is not turning into an anime podcast, by the way. It's just but it's just like <laughs> sort of this <just> like <laughs> the
0: new theme I'm gonna give you a
1: question podcast. and then my answer it with another question. <laughs> like, oh what's in the box? Oh, it's a map. Where's the map? It's like where's the map lead? Is it a treasure? It's like like what's going on, dude. I waited three years for this and the reveal is is another question? <laughs> that's why I didn't really like it. A lot of it relied on sort of like that inherent mystery that it had at the beginning. And it did not answer any of the questions at all until the end. And the and and then the answer they gave at the end wasn't very satisfactory. So That's <laughs> okay. why I didn't like it. No spoilers, but well, I don't, uh, an at Attack like on
0: anime. Titan rant, oh, dang dude! Not good. Not good. What is your favorite animation? Do you really have like, one?
1: It's a '90s anime. It's called Great Teacher Onizuka, and it's not you know like. What is your what is your idea of an anime? Like, give me like give
0: me a give me like improv a plot. Improv a plot, okay. Uh, fourteen-year-old boy with super suddenly realizes he has superpowers and.
1: It's already very accurate. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and he... But he's shit. He's shit at his power. Yeah, and he's, like, low-key emo, and he <laughs> resents, like, the super cool dude in school who gets the girl, but, like, that girl's kind of edgy, and, like, you know, maybe they have something going on. And then, like, you know, there's, like, some evil dude that he has to confront, and then he saves the school it's or some bullshit. Accurate. It's actually it's, very
1: accurate. It's always in a school. It's always with a young boy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, like... They're always, like, mad or they, they're they mad at something. <laughs> it's, like... Uh, yeah, the world that, hates me. Like. Um, but the one that I like, Great Teacher Onizka, is about this guy who... uh, He was in a biker gang. And he he realizes, like, after, like, a bunch of, like, events in his life that either were, like, dangerous or, like, uh, he thought he would, like, die or something. He realizes, like, I'm... And then a man in his life comes in and he's, like... He's like, you know what? I want to be a teacher. So he, he wants to be the best teacher in Japan. But he's like, kind of like this boneheaded like biker dude. Um, he has like, he's like bleached hair. He has like piercings. He's not really exactly. And he's like, he was in a biker gang, so he's like super strong, and like that's his thing. And uh, he goes along in the story like trying to become a teacher, and eventually he gets a teaching job. But at the teaching job, uh, he's because he's like he doesn't fit the. Preconceived notion of a teacher, right? So he's given to like the delinquent class. Uh, this is a trope in anime, by the way. It's just like there's a class with just a bunch of pieces of shit that nobody <laughs> likes, and they just like want to like make the teacher commit suicide or something. So, but he's given to this delinquent class, but against sort of like everyone's expectations, he's like this young guy in his twenties. He sort of connects with each of his students by instead of being a teacher, he's just himself as like this person who had these life experiences as a biker and he's able to connect with these kids one by one uh, because of like, you know, one kid's getting bullied, so he like, instead of like going through the proper um, the proper procedures, he just like was like, hey, you piece of shit I'm either gonna beat the shit out of you <laughs> or we could play rock, paper, scissors right now for our, <laughs> and it's just like <laughs> it's like this like very outlandish solution to, the, to him getting bullied and then uh but you realize like that's really what we wanted wanted to happen right like if if i'm like super poor i don't want to have to build up all my wealth over like 30 years i want to just win the lottery and that's what he does for each one of these kids it's like it's like well this kid uh i don't know uh he's there i think one of the kids was like super duper smart but he's like the teacher's like really stupid so like um the way they solved it was like Making them realize like you're not that smart. Like you you may seem like you're really smart, but there's so much to learn in the world. And sort of like this this like heart in it, and like this uh, build up as like a character where he's like, oh, he's a piece of shit. And to realize like, well, he's a piece of shit, but he 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 truly wants the best for each of his students. And sort of like it has that heart to it. So I was like, that's why I like it. Um, it's old. It's hard to watch now. There's not a lot of ways to like. Consume it on Netflix or whatever, but it's definitely aged a bit. They have a little like jokes that wouldn't really be accepted nowadays, <laughs> like, like sexual, like uh, you know, like eh, it's kind of creepy. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, do you beat your wife? Like, son? Oh, I really? Really like high school girls? It's like, oh, bro, you're like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> 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 like, what? But it's it's sort of it's sort of like he kind of it's sort of that dichotomy of him being like this ditzy not ditzy but like boneheaded like muscle dude to being like a genuine person with a lot of heart that sort of gets the plights of like young people and who wants who wants to fix them and he fixes it for them uh through sheer strength and will it's it's it's, it's a bit inspiring he's like a lot of his problems he just either muscles his way through it or he uh comes up with a creative way to solve it so it's like it's it's a little long uh, but i think it's it's aged very well as a sort of like this heart-to-heart piece of media where it's like less about the destination than is the journey, right? It, so I know it's super cliche, but...
0: Is that the lesson you would take from it? More about the journey than the destination? Or something else about connecting with people?
1: I think, I think it was about connecting with people. It's sort of like building up all these relationships with people. Um, and eventually those relationships save him throughout the story. So it's like, oh, he's in trouble. But the students who once hated him don't want him to get fired right so they they band together and they help him so it's like uh, I know it sounds like like what, what what problems are you getting into it's like he's a uh, teacher but it sort of puts him in these fun like scenarios where uh, he has to utilize like the relationships he made in the past or he has to make new ones uh, to sort of like clear an obstacle and then he gets a new friend and it kind of builds up on that and eventually uh, it goes from him being a loner in a classroom, not a loner, but like it's him versus the students to at the end, it's their classroom, right? Like this is, this is their, they all grow up um, and they, they live fulfilling lives where at one point they were like living their worst life possible and sort of changed by. I, I do think it's kind of a cliche in media to have the teacher be like super noble. Uh, he, they're either noble or like the most boring person alive or like in in Bueller bears <laughs> Bueller's day off or whatever, yeah, uh on the other hand, it's like Mr Feeney and uh that one show, who's like a super noble cool dude, and that's a trope in teachers, but it's like this dude's like somewhere in between where on one hand he's like super noble on the other hand, he's like a a muscle dude, so yeah, it's my favorite
0: gotcha N- decent lesson, interesting lesson, you sort of'm I'm
1: sure I'm sure people will tell you, oh my favorite, I mean, when you ask have you ever asked anybody else that? Question. I'm curious to hear what you hear as a layman.
0: Attack <laughs> on Titan uh Really. Uh, that's it. That's the only That's the only one you... I know like I I have like three people in my life that I spent time with that consume a non-trivial amount of anime.
1: Non-trivial.
0: Oh here's one actually that's a favorite. It's not even a cowboy. I don't know. Cowboy Bebop? Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, and I was made to watch a couple episodes of that. So that seems to be common, but yeah, I guess I I've never watched it myself. I'm always curious. My main concern is usually that it's another form of escapism, escapism akin to playing video games I on think a regular that is, basis. Uh,
1: it is a lot of people's engagement with the medium. And I think that's why it's appealing for a lot of young people, especially if, like video games and uh anime. I think a lot of people just quote like, "You know, you could be anything you want in a video game or you can you can in- it lets you escape the boring reality." It's like, "Well, it's like, is that good? <laughs> like, do you want to, like, escaping reality, like, well, by watching anime? Is that really like a, yeah. is that really a, a good thing that you're portraying? So it's, uh, that's why it's appealing to me. But I'm sort of like, uh, I watch the weirdo shit, so it's not really like, I try to be, like, this isn't my personality. This is just one aspect of it, yeah. and I think other people, make it their personality. And anybody who do, does that with any, like, one specific thing. Um, it, Either they're like Stephen Hawking And they're like The best at it And they're a genius uh, Like if I'm the best coffee brewer It's like Like I'm super into coffee It's like That's my personality It's like Well either you have to be You have to be like The best barista ever Or you're You're just like Kinda like I can't talk to you anyth- About anything Except coffee Right like It's sort of like It kinda puts you in this Like dangerous position Where you have to like if that's your only thing and that's your identity, if that thing is ever attacked, then that's attack on your identity. And I don't think that should ever be true. It's the same with like politics or your end identity in general. It's like, well, uh, if you're super into plants and I'm like, oh, I hate plants. It's like, well, you hate me then. I'm like, no, I never said that. I just, <laughs> I just haven't, like, we can't have a discussion about it now, right? Like, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, it becomes a question of, who are you are you the things to which you are attached how many things do you attach yourself to is there something bringing that all together it's hard to say and I think uh, a question that we'll leave open for now thanks for coming on Tristan you're my first guest it's been a great conversation uh, thanks for having me yeah and we'll be at work tomorrow I'll right. see you at work at the 3rd of July 3rd of July oh, sounds good